Today, we're starting a new series, kind of look forward to it, uh, called Ruth, A Story of Redemption. There's a lot of sermons, series preached on this, and most of them have a title, something like this, Ruth, A Story of Redemption, because that's what it's about. I mentioned last week that Ruth is one of only two books in the entire Bible named after women. The other is the book of Esther in the Old Testament, and that's the way we began our year this year, is in the book of Esther. Uh, Ruth is the story of how two women, Ruth and Naomi, uh, daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, left a life of despair in a foreign land, the land of Moab, and returned to the land of Israel, to the city of Bethlehem, in in search of better days. Yeah, that's the same Bethlehem where Jesus would be born over a thousand years after this time. Naomi, the mother-in-law, was getting on in years And she felt bitter toward God for the life that she was having to live and empty. Ruth was considered an outsider. Uh, The Moabites were not loved by the Israelites, uh, and they didn't love the Israelites either. And yet they discovered uh, when they went back to the city of Bethlehem that, that no situation is beyond the reach of God's redeeming love and that any life surrendered to him can be blessed beyond imagination if we'll just allow God to do his work in our lives. Now, Ruth is the heroine of the story. And by heroine, of course, I don't mean the white powder. Uh, I'm talking about the, the female hero of the story. And she's the hero because she always chooses to do the right thing regardless of the circumstances. Now, most of us like to think of ourselves like that, you know, always choose to do the right thing regardless of the circumstances. But in fact, we're a little bit more like the mother-in-law in the story. Her name is, is Naomi. And I say we're more like her because she made a lot of bad decisions in her life and then blamed God for the consequences of those decisions. And that's kind of more like us, right? We make bad decisions and then we say, God, why does this have to happen in my life? Why, did, why does this go on like this? But, but in spite of all of that, uh, both of these ladies are extremely blessed. They turn their lives back toward God and they're extremely blessed beyond their wildest imagination before this short book uh, is over with. Now, I suggest if you haven't already done it recently that you read the entire book. Four chapters, 85 verses, I think, something like that. Takes you 20 minutes or so uh, to read it all. Read it uh, several times. You'll really like it. And then once you do that, at least go back and each week we're going to be doing one chapter from the book of Ruth. So each week, just go back and read that chapter uh, a couple of times. There are a lot of devotionals out there uh, just from the, from the book of, of Ruth. Uh, I mentioned Bible.com a lot of times, uh, the Bible app. And uh, they have a search bar there, and you can just type in the book of Ruth, and it'll just bring up all kinds of devotionals that you can do uh, on your, uh, your smartphone or your, your tablet or whatever. So do those things if you, if you will. We're going to begin, of course, in Ruth chapter 1. Today's topic is this. When all seems lost, the journey from bad to, well, it was bad to worse to start with. But we can cross that out because by the time we get to the end of the chapter, it's going to be the journey from bad to to better. And the lesson from chapter one is that no situation is hopeless when you go in God's direction with it. You know, when you allow God to do his work in your life. So let's see what the author of the book of Ruth 
had to say. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 starts like this. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man, man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now just stop there for a minute. It came to pass in the days that when the judges ruled. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, it starts with Abraham, of course, but then they're in, in, in Egypt and they grow into a large nation and God sends Moses, right? Moses leads them out of Egypt toward the promised land. They're 40 years in the wilderness and then Moses dies uh, and God chooses Joshua as his successor and Joshua leads the Israelites into the land and they conquer the land uh, and then there's a a period of history and then Saul becomes king and then David becomes king and then Solomon becomes king and then all those other guys that follow them become king. But that time in between when Joshua dies uh, and when Saul becomes king is the period when the judges rule. Uh, people like Gideon, ever, I don't know if you ever heard of Gideon or Samson, everybody's heard of Samson. He was one of the judges, Deborah and Barak and people like that. A period of time that, you know, ends about 1050 B.C., but starts maybe either 1250 or, or 1350. Basis, based on the genealogies in the book, we would assume that this book of Ruth uh, uh, takes place between 1150 and 1100 B.C., uh, about, you know, uh, uh, 100 years or so before the time of King David. The time of the judges was a time of lawlessness and chaos. It didn't have to be that way. By the, by the way, but people just wouldn't do what God told them to do. So it became a time of lawlessness and chaos. Uh, the book of Judges just precedes the book of Ruth. And the last verse in the last chapter of the book of Judges says this, Judges 21, 25. In those days, that is, uh, in the days of the Judges, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is, it was lawlessness. It was chaos. Everybody just thought, I'm as good as anybody else. I'll do whatever I feel like doing. I'll, I'll do things my own way. And so the, in, in that period of time, in that chaos, the story of Ruth takes place. Go back to verse 1. Read it one more time. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, Bethlehem, Judah, that's like Pensacola, Florida, right? Judah was the, uh, was the state or the, the area or the part of the nation. Uh, but Bethlehem is about five miles south of Jerusalem. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell, uh, uh, went to sojourn, went to live for a, a, a short period of time in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his sons. Now, the Moabites are distant cousins of the Israelites. Uh, they're descendants of Abraham's nephew, Lot. We're not going to get into uh, that whole thing, but it's not a pretty story. They're not friends of Israel. So the mystery is kind of like, why in the world would a Jewish man take his family to live in Moab? But that was, that was evidently the place where he felt he was going to be able to be most successful financially. Uh, by the way, Moab. I thought you might be interested in this. Moab is the name of the most powerful non-nuclear bomb in the United States arsenal, if you're interested uh, in that. The GBU-43 slash B. Moab stands for Massive Ordnance Air Blast or Mother of All Bombs. So I just, I just found that an interesting thing. If you Google Moab, you may come up with that rather than the ancient country. But I do have a map 
uh, for you to look at, the ancient country of Moab. And I have a pointer today. How about that? You see right here, this is the city of Bethlehem. Jerusalem is not far away, right there. Now, the kind of pink line or purple line, whatever that is, would be the route tra traveled by uh, Elimelech and his family. They left this little village of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is, doesn't have any natural water, and so if there's no rain, the place dries out and it becomes a, 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 you know, a bad situation. So he left there, went up around the north end of the, of the Dead Sea and down to Moab, and this would be the modern country of Jordan, by the way. It's kind of a desert area itself, but there are several wadis or rivers, you know, that run in that area. And so uh, uh, they could have found a place to be. And then when they got ready to go back, of course, they, they retraced their steps and went back up there to Bethlehem. But I like to have maps because, just to show you to start with because uh, it shows this, these are real people, real places. It's about... 50 miles, 75, even 100 miles, just based on the route you take and exactly what part of the country they went to and things of that nature we're not familiar with. But, but uh, so, so they go off in this walk of 50 to 100 miles, but a different world, absolutely different world in Moab than in Israel. And then we move on to verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon or Mahlon, and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Ephrathite would be their family background or the, or, or the area that they're from. The last part of that verse says, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there or settled down there for a while. The wording in verses one and two indicates that they planned to stay just for a little while, just until the famine was over with, and then they were gonna go back home again. But just for a little while, I'm gonna go over into this bad place. Verse three, then here's what happened. Naomi didn't plan on this, neither did Elimelech. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Widows in the ancient Near East had lost social status. I say lost social status because Abraham's wife didn't have it so bad, and Isaac's wife didn't have it so bad, Jacob's wife didn't have it so bad. It wasn't like women never had any status, but women in the ancient Near East had lost all social status, were generally without any political or economic standing at all. Uh, I, I read one author who equated them to homeless people in our society today, just outcasts, thrown out. The only thing they would have would be what people chose to give them, and they would live wherever they could find a, you know, a place to live. Didn't even have a cardboard box uh, in those days. Typically, they had no male protector, and therefore, they were economically dependent on the society at large, whatever anybody wanted to do for them. And that's the reason that God stresses so much in his word the need for us as Christians to take care of the widows and orphans because they were truly just uh, on death's door. Uh, with no one to protect them. Verse four says, uh, now they, that would be uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech has died, but she's got her two sons. So her two sons uh, took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah. By the way, uh, spell check doesn't like Orpah, but if you turn a couple of letters around, you can get, or, uh, you can get Oprah, likes that word by the way, but doesn't like the word Orpah which is the name of this lady. And the name of the other is Ruth. She's the lady that the book is named after. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Now, the, the wording indicates that the 10 years is about how long these guys were married. 
Now, both of these guys are going to die. I don't know if they were in an accident together. They both died at the same time or they died a little bit apart. It was 10 years before the second guy died. But verse 5 says, then both Machlon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. The situation for Naomi went from bad to worse. You know, who could have imagined, you know, she and her family went to this land. They were just going to be there a little while. Then the family would end. The family would go back and, and, you know, buy their land back that they had left behind and things of that nature. But this got worse and worse and worse for her. And, and of course, as we try to apply that to our own lives, we have to ask the question, uh, have you ever experienced anything like that where you run from one problem and you just get another problem and another problem and another problem? No matter where you go, things just get worse and worse and worse. Sometimes people think, if I could just get out of this marriage, things would be better. Uh, and then they go from one bad relationship to another bad relationship to another bad relationship. Sometimes we succumb to financial pressure. You know, we say, uh, anything's got to be better than being under this kind of pressure. And so we go from one bad investment to another risky financial scheme until we're just more broke than we started. Sometimes people go from job to job to job thinking something's got to be better than this. Sometimes they go from church to church to church thinking something's got to be better than this. But sometimes the more you run, the more trouble you get into. I'm not saying there's never a reason to leave because there are reasons to leave sometimes. But you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we're just trying to run away from the pressure and we just get into more trouble and more trouble and more trouble. I think we all know what it's like uh, when life goes from bad to worse. And that's what happened to Naomi. It started with a plan to escape famine uh, for just a short, just a little while. I'm going to leave God's land and go to this other land. It ended more than a decade, more than 10 years later with her alone and destitute facing more responsibility than she ever could have imagined that she would be in. But the good thing is Naomi's life didn't continue in that downward spiral. She was pretty depressed about it all. And even though she appeared to have lost all hope, we look at it from a different perspective and we can see that, that right around the corner, good things were about to happen. That's the kind of thing we always hope for and the same can be true for us. I want you to think about this statement right here. No matter where you've been, no matter where you appear to be headed, you can redirect the road you're on right now and begin the journey back from bad, not to worse, but to better. Now, you can't keep doing the same thing you're doing, but you can redirect your, the direction of your life and you can get on a different road and go back to where you should be. That's what Naomi did. So we move on to verse 6. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6 says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return, that's a, that's a key word, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So word got reached her 50 miles, 100 miles away uh, that the, the famine was over and there was lots of food back in the hometown again. And what she does here is, is an illustration of something we call repentance. You know, repentance is uh, something that God requires in salvation. Uh, and here's what she did, that, that word there, return from. She turned her back uh, on the country, of uh, this foreign country she had gone to. She turned her back on the errors, the mistakes, the sins that she had, uh, that she had committed. She turned her back on the graves uh, of her loved ones, and she headed back to the place 
that God had put, had her to start with, the, the, the city of Bethlehem. Verse 7 says, therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, so Orpah and Ruth go with her, and they got on the road on the way to return to the land of Judah. Uh, repentance. You turn from something, you turn to something. You turn away from the wrong thing, you turn to the right thing. In salvation, we turn our backs on uh, the sin of our lives and the, the ways we have tried to take care of ourselves and we turn toward the God of heaven, the Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And, uh, and this, is not, this uh, story is not about salvation necessarily, but we can make an application there. But to all of us, you know, when we get headed in the wrong direction, it's about turning our backs on that and turning our face in the right direction. So we're going to look this morning very briefly at, as we read the rest of chapter 1 at four facts about real life change, four things that we need to realize about making real change in our life. And the first one is this, it starts, real change, change starts when you get on the road to where you want to go. And you can't want to be over here and continue going in this direction. If you want to go over there, you got to turn and get on the road that takes you uh, in that direction. That's where real life change starts. If you don't like the situation you're in right now, first thing you have to do is to do what Naomi did and change something. Get, uh, remember that you have to get on a different road and remember that it's a road, it's a journey uh, from one place to another place. We want our problems a lot of times to be solved immediately, don't we? We want everything to make instantly right. We want to go from bad to blessed overnight, but it usually just doesn't happen that way. Now, salvation is an instantaneous thing where uh, God changes you on the inside, but doesn't necessarily change your external circumstances. That's a journey that you have to take. The, the length of that journey is often uh, dependent on how long it took you to get where you are. You know, how far did you travel to get where you are? Then you may have to travel a little way to get back where you belong. There's some distance that you have to travel. Uh, it, it's a process to get where you want to be and where God wants you to be. The important thing is to just get started, you know? So you gotta take that first step. You gotta get on the road that leads you back where you need to be. Now, perhaps you or somebody you know is dealing with a situation like that. I always talk about money and relationships because those are the two things that seem to bother most people, but perhaps you're dealing with a relationship issue, whether it's a parent-child relationship issue or a marital issue or a work issue or a friendship issue. You just have to ask, what can I do? What do I need to do to get on the right road in this relationship? Not all starts with having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But, but after I have trusted in Jesus, what do I need to do? How should I speak to this person? What should I do with this person? What will it, it take to get us on the road to healing in this relationship? And then do it. Just get started. Uh, you may be like me. I can never remember anything, so I have to write it down and go back and read it on a regular basis, and that reminds you, this is what I said I needed to do, and so this is what I'm going to do. You may be struggling with your relationship with God. You may want to be closer to him, but it's always been up and down. You know, your relationship with God has always been like that. You never can seem to get it quite right. Well, I want to assure you of this. God's never far away. You know, he's, just, he's always in an arm's length just to reach out to him. 
So start the job, the journey back to him. It may be as simple as uh, the, the basics we talk about, spending time with God each day in prayer, talking to him and, and in reading his word and, uh, and, and spending time with other Christians and, and listening to music that's about him and the relationship you need to have with him. Take the right steps. I read about a man who, was, who gave his testimony, said he was in a period in his life when he, he desperately wanted to re restore his relationship with God uh, and his family. He had once lived for Jesus, but he had drifted a long way away from God uh, in his life. And, and, and his days seemed to go about like this. He'd get up and go to work. And then after work, he and his buddies would stop by the bar that was between where work was and where home was. And they'd uh, meet up with the ladies there uh, at the bar while his wife and his children stayed at home. And then he would go home. And day after day, the same cycle uh, was going on in this guy's life. And, and one day he decided to get on a different road and he realized that that road was straight from work to home and did not go through the bar uh, on the way there. So he started going home every day to be with his family instead of going someplace else. When his friends at work started making fun of him and say, hey, what's going on with you, bud? What's happening with you? He said, well, my son has a, uh, has a project at school. And I need to help him out with this project a little bit. So, you know, it'll be a couple of weeks, but I got to do that. And then a couple of weeks went by. Hey, what's going on? Well, he said, he told him, I'm building a deck. Uh, it might take me a couple of months. I'm building a deck. He didn't have the nerve, uh, didn't have the spine, the backbone to say to these guys, hey, I just don't want to do that anymore. That's dragging me down. But what he did anyway was get on the right road, even if he didn't have the guts to tell his buddies about it. He started doing the right thing, and he found his way back home again. His testimony was he, re he renewed his relationship with God. He renewed his relationship with his wife uh, and his children, and he got back to where he wanted to be, but he couldn't get there by doing the same things he was doing before. I want you to think about this statement right here. If you want to be living in a different place, then get on the road that leads you to where you want to be. We're talking about four facts about real life change, and the, the first one is just this, and the longest one. It just starts by getting on the road where you want to go. The second one is not everyone will be willing to take that journey with you. Uh, you may have to leave some of your friends behind. So Naomi and her two daughters-in-law head out of Moab, and they're on the road, and they're going back to Bethlehem, the place where Jesus would be born over a thousand years later. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, And Naomi said to her daughters, two daughters-in-law, Go, leave me, right? Return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, her two their two husbands, right, and with me. Now, it seemed like kind of an odd statement that, Here's this woman that we like to think of as a godly woman. She's telling these ladies, go back and worship your pagan gods and all that kind of stuff. But uh, she must have realized how hard it would be for these young foreign women to get married. And that's what women had to do in order to survive in those days. Go back to your daddy or get married. Uh, there was little chance for a woman in any other way. Perhaps she realized that having them along when she got back home was going to make it harder on her. Uh, a widow, and then she had these, these two Moabite women with her. Uh, I will say this for her. Uh, she said, the Lord deal kindly with you. She was, uh, she was at least invoking the name of the God 
uh, of heaven. Verse 9, she said, The Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. That is, my prayer for you is you'll go home and get married and, and have a family and raise kids. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and, and wept. Uh, the kiss was a sign of it's time for you to leave. Jean calls it the big kiss off. You know, do you ever have that, you know? Uh, I, uh, somewhere I'll give her a kiss. Oh, it's all over with now, huh? Oh, now you're going to go do something else. The, the big kiss off. Well, that's kind of what it, what it is here. You know, the, the kiss means it's time for you to leave. Naomi's desire was good desire for them. It was practical. And they said to her in verse 10, surely we will return with you to your people. So one time she said, look, you need to go back. There's no hope for you with me. And they both said, oh, no, we love you too much. We're going to stick with you. We're family. We're going to go with you. So Naomi decided a second time to talk to them. And she stressed the fact, look, your hope is in getting married and you're probably not going to get married if you stick with me. So verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back. You know, they're on the right road. And she said, turn back, my daughters. Why? It's a good question. Why are you going to do this? Why do you want to make this change in your life? Good question for you to ask. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husband? Can I have any more sons for you to marry? Verse 12, turn back, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should bear sons, verse 13, would you wait for them till they're grown? Would you wait? Well, that, you know, of course not. Would you restrain yourselves from marrying other guys, from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that, and let's blame it on God, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, you know, that God is punishing me so. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. It was the kiss off. Orpah said, okay, sounds like the right thing to do to me, but Ruth, not, that wasn't for Ruth, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah loved her mother-in-law, but she agreed that life would be better for her if she went back into her own Moabite culture and found a Moabite husband. When you leave Moab, when you get on the road back to where you want to be, some people are going to stay there. Some people will want you to stay there with them. Some people are going to think that's the best place for them. Remember this, most people care more about themselves and their own convenience than they care about you. We need to keep that in mind in some of our acquaintances and the contacts that we have in life. It may not be true of your mama or your daddy or your son or your daughter or your grandparents or something like that, but most of the people that you're in contact with this life care more about themselves than they care about you. In order to build a new life for yourself, you have to be willing to say goodbye to some things and to some people. Think about these two young widows, Orpah and Ruth. They had reached a moment of stark reality and decision in their lives. What country are you going to live in? Under whose roof will you live? Whose God are you going to serve? The choices seem to be you can stay in Moab, maybe find a husband, maybe have 
children. Maybe build a good life for yourself, or you can go to Bethlehem where you will live as foreigners with an aging, poverty-stricken widow. That doesn't sound very inviting, doesn't it? You probably won't marry because you'll be a foreigner. You may never have any children. You probably spend your life working for minimum wage in the field, earning just enough money to get by, and you'll likely always be an outsider. So which of those do you choose? Orpah said, I think I'll stay in Moab. She, she made the decision that most people think would be rational, sensible, the strategic thing to do. She went back to Moab where the prospects were brighter. But Ruth, but Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. She held on and she made the tough decision that leads us to the third thing I want to mention to you this morning, which is this, four facts about real life change. The third one is real life change takes commitment. If you really want to go in a different direction, it takes commitment. Ruth just, she just couldn't turn back. There was something in her that drove her on to Bethlehem. Uh, even though Naomi was in the depths of despair, Ruth could see something that Naomi could not see for her. Maybe she and her husband, you know, before he died, maybe they had talked about uh, what his country, what his God was like. We don't know what went on in that period of time, but that 10 years, but, but something within Ruth said it's worth the risk. It's worth trying to do the right thing. So as she faced a life-changing decision, after seeing her sister-in-law turn back home, Ruth made a commitment to the Lord. In Ruth chapter 1 and verse 15, and she, Naomi, said this to Ruth. She said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return to your sister-in-law. One more time, she tried to say, there is no hope for you. Going back uh, to my land is, is not for you. Then in one of the most beautiful expressions of commitment in any piece of literature that's ever been written on the face of this planet, Ruth commits her life and her future to her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law's God. Now, what she said has been used in wedding ceremonies. What she said turned into a song that, was, that used to be sung. I, you don't hear it anymore, but used to be sung at weddings. But Ruth said, verse 16, entreat me not to leave you. How about, don't, just quit. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge or wherever you live, I'll live there. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. In this statement, Ruth not only chooses Naomi, but she chooses Israel as her country and Yahweh, the God of heaven, the eternal God, the creator of the universe as her God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. My commitment goes through death to you. A lot of widows uh, have sons that don't have that kind of commitment to them. A lot of, a lot of uh, older people just kind of die on their own. But Ruth said, no, through death, through the grave, I'm going to be buried the same place you are being buried. 
Verse 18 says, when she, that is when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Naomi was bitter and she was depressed and she was pessimistic about the future, but she had to have been comforted by the fact that this daughter-in-law looked at her and said, I am with you until you die. There's nothing that's gonna separate us but death. I might not have read uh, uh, all of verse 17, but that's what she said. So the two women made this trip back, 50, 75 miles, however long it was, three or four or five days on the road, dangerous situation, two women traveling by themselves, but they came back to Bethlehem. Ruth chapter one, verse 19 says this. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. They traveled until they got there, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited about it. In fact, they came back excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Could this possibly be Naomi? They were so excited. Uh, maybe she was hard to recognize. She'd had a hard life. She was several years older and she'd gone through a lot. She was beat up when she got back here. Could this possibly be Naomi? Verse 20, Naomi immediately quells any celebration of joy. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. The word, the name Naomi means pleasantness or sweetness. Don't call me that name anymore. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And that's what she was. She was bitter uh, because of what had happened in her life. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara for the Almighty. It's God who has done this to me. And, and you know, she may have been punished for her sins. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21, I went out full. When I left, I had a husband and two sons. Now she left because they didn't have anything, you know, because there was a famine. But I was full. I, uh, maybe she realized what her husband didn't realize, that she had him and she had her two sons and with, that was all she needed. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. She doesn't really sound like a woman of great faith here, does she? She doesn't sound like a woman whose life is about to turn around and, and she's gonna live well for the rest of her life. She sounds like a woman who's out of options, a woman who's at the end of a rope, a woman who thinks nothing good can possibly happen in her life. But the final verse that we're gonna read in this chapter is a verse of hope for the future and brings us to the final thought for the day, which is this, of the four facts about real life change. Number four is this, when you take the journey you need to take, when you get on the road, go down that road, the harvest begins in your life. They got back just in time for the barley harvest. There was food plentiful. So let's go back and read verse 21 again, then we'll read verse 22 and be, and be finished. Verse 21 says, this is Naomi, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me pleasant? Why do you call me joyful? Why do you call me happy? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Most of us, you know what we would like to have heard Naomi say? We'd like to have heard her say something like, I've had some setbacks, but praise God, the harvest is about to come in, right? I've had some setbacks, but hallelujah, God is still in charge. But that's not what she says, you know? That's not what she said at all. Uh, 
She said, the Almighty has afflicted me. Her words kind of remind us, you read some of the Psalms and you see the way the psalmist pour out their heart. And, and man, it, they just, it, it, it's about doubt and fear and pain that they're experiencing. Or you go to the book of Job and Job uh, expresses his resentment and his depression uh, that he's going through when all these bad things are happening in his life. And this woman, Naomi, can't even imagine how her life is about to change. And I hope you'll come back in coming weeks as we talk about that. But verse 22 says this. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This, this, this verse provides a transition of hope. Uh, this, uh, it's not, this journey is not from bad to worse. This journey is from bad to the harvest, from bad to better. God was not really against Naomi. In fact, in his providential care for her, he was about to act with great favor in her life. Naomi had left uh, Bethlehem because of a food famine. She had returned uh, with a famine in her soul. She left with a husband and two sons. She returned a widow with a, with a foreign daughter-in-law along with her. But everything was about to change. The barley harvest in Bethlehem must have been a welcome sight. They had kind of lived on nothing for so long, and now food was just abundantly flowing everywhere. I don't know if Naomi could even see that. She was so depressed, she might not be able to see it. But Naomi thought when she came back, she was returning empty-handed. But she actually had somebody really important with her, this young woman named Ruth the heroine of the story, the one who's going to do so, but she's just going to do stuff, whatever she needed to do, she's just going to do it for the rest of this, this, this book. She returned with Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, and the harvest is ripe. Now, you may feel sometimes, like Naomi, that you've lost a lot uh, in your life. <clears throat> you may feel... And sometimes we just have to admit this, that we're bitter and angry toward God for letting these things happen in our life. But if you're ready to take that journey, you can arrive at the place of harvest. I'm not saying everything's going to be good in your life, but I'm saying you point yourself in the right direction, things will be better. Naomi could not have known that just maybe days, maybe just days away, her life would turn around completely. I want you to think about this, this statement here. The harvest was about to begin for Naomi because, not because of her doubts and fears, but because in spite of her doubts and fears, in spite of her bitterness toward God, she made the journey back to Bethlehem. In spite of the way she felt, she did, still did the right thing. And God blessed her because of that. If your life has been going from bad to worse, your marriage, your career, your spiritual walk has been going from bad to work, Worse, if you found your, yourself in a place you never thought you'd be. I've heard people say that. I never thought I'd get to this point in my life and it would be like this. There's a way out. Even when it appears all hope is lost. When God's involved, there's always hope. You get on the road, it takes you where you need to go and you trust God to get you there. Create a plan, a strat strategy to do what it takes to start moving in the right direction. Even though it means some won't travel with you, you head on that road and you say goodbye to whoever you have to say goodbye to. You may have to leave behind some habits, make some decisions that are difficult to make. 
But when you pass through that moment of decision, saying I have to make a change in my life, and you take the road to where you need to, to go, there will be blessings from God down that road. Now, the harvest had just begun for Ruth and Naomi, and, and, and we're gonna continue to talk about that story next week. But for today, what we need to think about is where am I? And, and do I need to be on a different road than the, than the road that I'm on? It starts with trusting Jesus Christ as your savior. It starts with turning your back on the old life that you've lived and turning your face toward the one who died on the cross to pay the price of your sin. The only one that can take you into the family of God. The only one who can guarantee you a place in heaven through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that's where it starts. And if you're not confident that you've made that right decision to get on that road in your life, then you need to to talk to me or talk to somebody else after the service about it. But then there's, there, there are thousands of other things that could be going on in your life where you just say, I, I gotta get on a different road with this thing here. I gotta go in a different direction with this thing right here. I need to go in the way God wants me to go. And even though it seems like the more difficult choice to make, it's the right thing to do. And so I'm gonna follow God and he will bless you. Let's pray. I know you're here with us today, Father, and I thank you for that. I ask you to uh, use this example of Ruth and Naomi to convince us that you will bless us if we will follow you. Thank you for being present with us right here today. In Jesus' name, amen.